0: The Pellicle Podcast is supported by our Patreon subscribers. If you'd like to support our website, podcast and magazine, please visit patreon.com forward slash pellicle mag. Hello, I'm Matthew Curtis, and welcome to the Pellicle podcast. Pellicle is a magazine devoted to exploring the worlds of beer, wine, cider, food and travel, and the joy we find within these cultures. In our show, we like to dig into the stories of the people, products and places that make the food and drink we love so vital. Our aim is to bring you folks closer to these cultures through our shared enthusiasm, all while hopefully bringing these worlds closer together in the process. Today's show is part of a series of panel talks recorded at 2019's Fine Fest, the annual festival held by Fine Ales at the home of their brewery and family farm in Cairndow, Scotland. Fine Ales have been huge friends and supporters of Pellicle since day one, and it was a privilege to be invited to host these talks we were gutted not to be able to return to the Glen in 2020 due to the pandemic, but are already relishing returning in 2021 with gusto. It's over to my partner in crime, Jonathan Hamilton, to host this, our final panel talk from FineFest 2019. This discussion is all about spontaneous, mixed fermentation and wild ales, perhaps collectively better known, for better or worse, as sours. He's joined on the panel by Andy Gibson, who at the time was working for Brewdog Overworks, Stephen Smith-Hay from Vault City, Jim Rangeley of Abbeydale's Funk Dungeon Project and Andrea Ladas, who helped establish the Origins Project at Fine Ales. This episode is a must listen for anyone curious about the production of Sour Beers, as this is a super fun and geeky chat. I'll leave it there, but quickly want to say thank you for listening to these talks and thanks again so much to Finales for having us. We'll see you back in the Glen in 2021, and I'll be back in a week or two with some more episodes, including yet more panel talks from this year's Cloudwater Friends and Family and Beer Festival. Stay tuned. Now it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to The Pellicle Podcast.
1: Hello, thank you for coming and sorry for the slight delay. Uh, We have a change of schedule, Uh, so Jim is now on the panel, uh, in case anyone was expecting Andrea, who might come, he's a bit late, but we're going to continue anyway. So welcome to this talk, which is called Acid Tripping, and it is about uh, the the mainstream and sour beer and... Dropping acid, acid, it's the same thing. (laughs) We're not going to get into semantics. Uh, so my name's Johnny. Uh, Matt and I uh, started a magazine four weeks ago. It's been working called Pellicle. Uh, we've been working on it for a while, and it's out in the open. And uh thankfully, let us host these panels. It's really nice. And uh, it's good to have a nice panel of people that I know. So that makes it nice and easy. Um, and today, the, the headline act, as they're calling it, uh, the last talk of the day, is um, we're going to talk about sour beer and how we got to this point and how sour beer is now quite uh, ingrained in, in UK beer. I mean, we have it in supermarkets, but there's kind of two different categories of sour beer. We've got sour beer, like easy drinking, 4% kind of fruited sours, like that you can pick up in supermarkets now. And you've got this other category of mixed fermentation, uh, lambic style, uh, barrel-aged sours. Oh yeah. Get in, get in. come on, get in. <laughs>
2: going
1: to stand here. And then we, we basically want to talk about how those beers have become so popular and then why this other category maybe hasn't got there yet, how we can expect it to get there, anything we can do as brewers to get us there and just talk about that. So Last week, we published a list on our website of the 21 uh, beers that we thought defined the past 10 years in UK brewing. And in that list, five, maybe six, you could argue, were in the category of sour mixed fermentation beers. Uh, we had uh, London Sour from Brody's, which I would say is the category that then defines a lot more sour beers now uh, Kettle Sours. And then we've got the other end of the thing. We had things like... Uh, Lobby Bonds Sour Grapes, and Mills Brewing, which is very much this other category. And yeah, I want to talk about with these guys who I'll introduce right now. So we've got Andy Gibson from uh, Overworks Brewing. Hello.
3: We've
1: got Steve from uh, Vault City in Edinburgh. Hello. And we've got Jim, who's a, a rogue, um, a ringer, uh, from Abbeydale Funk Dungeon. Hello. And we have Andrea.
2: Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Origins Project.
1: So, the first question, just to get everyone warmed up and in the spirit, uh, I just want to talk about the first uh, sour beer experience for these guys and what were their reactions? Did they like it? And how have their tastes changed since then? Because everyone who is in the talk, I'm assuming, has liked sour beers. They're here for a reason. But probably the first time you tried a sour beer, it might not have been what you expected, it might not have been ple- pleasurable. For me, it was a very expensive, at the time, bottle of Cantillon goes, which I'd been told, reading some lists, it's like, you gotta try Cantillon Goose. And I was like, this is salad dressing, this is disgusting. And now, I don't know, six years down the line, my day job is to produce mixed fermentation sour beers. So, yeah, I like to ask all you guys, uh, what was your first experience, what did you react, and have your taste
4: changed since then?
3: Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a really interesting one, especially giving people sour beer for the first time, uh, which I do quite a lot of beer festivals. People have never had those kind of flavours before. Um, but I used to to work in a, a little beer bar that was my local bar. It was my first ever job uh, at the age of 18. Um, got stuck into a, a local bar, didn't really give a shit about the job. It was just there to make the money. Um, and it turned out to be this kind of beer mecca with 250 uh, Belgian bottles sitting on the shelf. And I was like, OK, well, I better start getting around to trying them and seeing what this is all about. Um, and people kept raving the same, same way that, that I think Johnny had experience with. People were raving about these sour beers, like the best beers in the world. So I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is... I don't not like it, but I have no idea what this is. And it really set me on a bit of a journey to find out how these flavors come about, how these beers are made, um, and really delve into that whole Belgian Lambic Goose Territory. Um, And so I made it a bit of a mission to train my palate to like them. And it was a real arduous task. It was an uphill battle. I think I tried one bottle a month for about a year and a half, still going, what the fuck is this? I just don't know. I just don't get it. Um, But persevered. And yeah, they're now my my favorite beers to drink.
4: I think uh, my experience might be similar to uh, a lot of uh, beer drinkers who go through that kind of craft experience of drinking a pale ale, liking it, preferring it to a pint of tenants, then going on to like an IPA. Imperial stouts, finishing up in sour beers, and it took me the longest time to actually get a taste for it, uh, which is quite funny now. Working in, in, in sour beer, um, the first kind of moment was, uh, was was Siren Calypso, where I was like, "This all sort now makes sense," and it, it all kind of came together. Um, I think then moving on, eventually, like Johnny, going into kind of canteen and uh, finding finding a space in kind of the weirder stuff and um, getting told you like this beer, you have a sip of it and it tastes like blue cheese, and you have another sip of it and it tastes like something completely different. Um, I think it, it, it took a long time to train my palate to enjoy enjoy sour beer. I can't remember specifically what beer it was that I enjoyed first, but um, certainly
5: um, Cholton in Manchester, who are a kettle sour predominantly brewery, um, but they're kind of, when they first started canning um, their beers, they, they were. Excellent, but also eye-opening because they're, they're not often they weren't seen before as as many in terms of the kettle sours in in the north of England. Um, well, um, Brodie's have been producing often in the south. Uh, there was, it didn't it didn't get up up as far as us, and so in Sheffield, certainly not. There wasn't really any any kind of there still really aren't very many sour beer producers. The, the, so yeah, it's kind of the, the, it's great to see that there are more people doing them now because um, they're, they're kind of my style of choice My where I enjoy drinking is is, is acid um, but yeah I think Cholton were the kind of main brewery that kind of started me on the path of choosing to drink acid
1: um, yeah And Andrea, uh, what was the first time you tried sour beer and what were your
2: reactions and
1: what was the beer that did it for you?
2: Yeah, it was uh, mainly my first job in a brewery. Uh, so I was an intern in 2011, I think, in Denmark. And it uh, was of Brujus. And they used to brew a lot of beers for the G- Danish gypsies at the start, you know. And I remember, you know, I, di- I was not so uh, educated about brewing beer. Actually, you know, I was into beer a lot, was my first job. And uh, in a tank, there was this beer. And believe it or not, the name was uh, Keep On Cruising Buddy. And it was a Berliner Weiss, plain Berliner Weiss. And really it was, so, was like three, just three pH, something like that. So imagine the first sip was like, well, what the fuck is this? You know, it's like, uh, it's not beer, but uh, it was easily describ- describable as a, a lemonade. It was enjoyable, like a lemonade, very light, was 2.5, something like that. So that's been the first experience. And, uh, you know, lactic acid is probably the easiest to approach uh, for the palate, you know, so the, the first phase, you know, is always fun to watch at the bar when they try the Berliner Weisse. So yeah, that was the first one. And also, the way of brewing is definitely uh, been uh, interesting, you know, just kettle sour in that case, and leave go to Copenhagen the weekend, come back and the beer was sour. <laughs> so it was quite fun, and from there, you know, uh, many others, but that was the first one, the Berliner Weisse.
1: Thanks for that. Um, so. That's these guys' first experience, and I think as a first experience for a lot of people who try these sour beers is, it's you know, it's it's an odd sensation. When you think about it, really, it's it's quite odd because citrus and a lot of things we consume, I mean, soda, all these things are, you know, a lot of things we drink and eat in our daily lives are sour, but beer, because for a long time it was just something that shouldn't be sour, and if it was sour, it was something had gone wrong with it, it took a long time for people to accept in, in the UK... Uh, maybe not in places like Berlin or in Belgium, but in the UK, it's taken us a long time to accept that beer can be all different types of things. We've always known beer to be you know, bitter or dark, but sour was never one of them. And uh, when we look at the supermarket now, it's been a really, I think specifically the past year, six months, it's been pretty mad. I looked on the Tesco website, in prep, other supermarkets are, are available, um, <laughs> on the, in preparation for this talk, just to see what was available for me. And to compare that to five, even one year ago, to even have the option of which of these 10 SAR beers do I want to drink is mad. I mean, 2013 was kind of whenever we wrote in the article about Brody's, and that kind of started this journey of London SAR, The Colonel, uh, Magic Rock making Salty Kiss, Calypso, and even 2014, those beers were quite unusual. But um, we've got this other category of sour that a lot of us here uh, are, are making, which is this long-term, maybe Belgian-inspired, Lambic-inspired mixed fermentation thing. And it's not really... It, it occupies a space in the market, but we want to figure out why that space is a lot smaller. We're not seeing these beers so much in the supermarkets, and I'll get on to there are some, some gateway beers out there that are doing a great job. But what is it simply a price point, or why do we think that these beers aren't in the shops, and why are we why aren't people drinking, uh, you know, gus and uh, mixed fermentation sars as much as they're drinking kettle sars? So I want to ask Andy first because uh, I know the beer that you currently get in the supermarkets from Overworks isn't specifically a sar beer, no. but it's super interesting that we have a mixed fermentation or a brett beer for a star. It might be the first. One of the first
3: 100%, 100% brett? Yeah, yes. it's 100% brett. Uh, bret yeah, it's the only
1: 100% brett beer in the supermarkets, and if you
3: could talk... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I should put the microphone up and talk to everybody. Um, so, yeah, we have a, a beer called Funk Fee Punk, which is a 100% brett fermented IPA, uh, borrowing very heavily from the dry hop of Punk IPA, obviously BrewDog being our, our kind of overarching sister company, or I guess we'd be the little cousin company or something, um, specialising in the wild and sour stuff. So we have this this hundred percent IPA, hundred percent Brett IPA in Tesco's, um, which is not sour. And that's a real clinch point for us. We were like, Okay, we're not gonna go with sour. We don't think the market's quite there yet, we don't think people are quite ready to start buying a lot of sour beer on shelves. We've got this 100% brett beer. It's the perfect gateway into alternative fermentation, as as we like to call it, or mixed fermentation. Um, And the biggest feedback that we've got from this beer when people rate it on untapped or or, uh, rate beer, whatever it is, is either that it's too sour and there's no acidity in this beer at all, so people have just decided that it's sour, um, or that it's not sour enough, despite the fact that nowhere on the label or in the concept it should be sour. So it's been a real interesting kind of feedback from us for that. Um, in terms of being a gateway beer into these styles, I think it's great. Um, but people expect everything that we produce, being on the sour side of BrewDog, to be sour. Um, I've gone off track and I've forgotten what the original question was. Why are we not <laughs> drinking those kind of beers? It was more, do you think
1: that price point is yeah, a sure. major issue? That yeah. why, like, £2 a can for... A for,
3: me, th- for me, the, the, the supermarket thing is, is a real clincher, or any kind of uh, beer purchase. Every beer has a time and a place. We all love these kind of mixed fermentation sour beers, whether they're kettle sour or, or goose at the other end of the spectrum. We love these kinds of beers and we want to sit down and drink them, enjoy them with friends or enjoy them with food, have them at a party or whatever that might be. Um, if you're just rocking up to the, your local weekly shop, I doubt you're in the frame of mind to pick up a, a £25 bottle of goose. I would much rather personally, I would pick up a, a you know, £5 four pack that I'm going to drink over the next day or two with whatever, with watching a movie with my pals, or or along those kind of lines. Um, So generally with the category, I think the price point, that's the issue. Um, But, I mean, the fact that we're holding a panel about these beers proves that there's enough people making them, enough people drinking them and interested in them, that they are a, a real part of the craft beer market. They are the niche within the niche, but it's a growing and developing scene, which is really exciting.
1: Uh, Steve, do you do you think that price is an issue to get a, maybe a barrier for people who for making the jump, who have maybe tried uh, these beers that they bought in the supermarkets for two pound a can, and then trying to get someone to and convince them? For example, your beers are obviously very heavily fruited, and they cost a little bit more than your average, uh, you know, quick, easy, available uh, kettle sour do you find that price point to be an issue for people to be like, okay, this beer is SAR and two pounds a can and this is SAR and you know, five pounds a bottle or six pounds a bottle or beyond, you know, up to 15. Keep going up. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> um, do you think that it's just a price point issue that people are kind of put off by buying these beers
4: or is there, is there other points at play? I suppose um, when when uh, Johnny Adele and I started Vault City, there was a big push to try and keep pricing um, below five pound uh, per bottle on the shelves. I think that's quite a uh, there's, there's a mentality at the five pound mark where, where people want to uh, will we, we'll not go go above that. It's it's difficult to create the beer that we want to create whilst maintaining the the pricing below that level. Um, I think that there is. Um, a, a, for a lot of people, when they go into a supermarket and they have various degrees of, of beer available or into an independent craft beer bottle shop, they see you know, sour gets um, lumped in with kettle sours, mixed fermentation, wild. And I think for people there's a lot of confusion unless you really start to do a lot of research into what the craft, sour, wild um, market looks like. Will you gamble 8 quid, 9 quid, 25 quid on a bottle of beer that just says mixed fermentation on it. Does that mean it's going to be a bread beer like uh, Funk V Punk? Does it mean it's going to be a, a Sour Bomb? Does it mean it's going to be something in the middle? Um, you don't really know, and I think that's possibly where people have a mix, a, a limited budget as to what they can spend on, on beer. Um, gambling is uh, gambling on a, on a bottle that's, that's 10 quid could be a bit of a, a step too far. Um,
1: um, I'm going to move on a little bit and because we've actually got a, a fourth panellist and it actually helps with this conversation. In uh, A lot of us at Vault City would be the only person on the panel, including myself, because my, my day job, I work with Beaver Town and run our barrel program, The Tempest Project. Uh, on the panel, we've got uh, Andrea, so operating uh, Origins within Fine, Andy working at Overworks within Brewdog, and Jim doing the funk, funk Dungeon within Abbeydale and a lot of time whenever I talk to people about these kind of uh, mixed fermentation beers I have a lot of people who maybe come to me and say I want to start a brewery and if you give me some advice I want to make only I love Jester King, I love all these guys, I love Canteon, I want to just make this style of beer and my immediate thought is like yeah but what, what are you going to make day to day how are you going to make money off the, this uh this niche section of the market. And people always use other American breweries mainly as a reference point of, yeah, but Jester King did it, or what about Casey or Side Project? And now I've started to see that these breweries, either they did it from the beginning, or they're now starting to introduce it, IPAs and paleos into their lineup, because they've now, even the, the guys who we thought could just make our beer, or mixed fermentation stuff, like Jester King, batch two IPA out this week, Casey, who only exclusively made fruits, makes fermentation sars. Just introduced their IPAs. Their their canning is that a sign that maybe is it really difficult and perhaps not possible to just make that style of beer. Is it a niche market, or do you need a company like Beavertown or Brewdog, for example, uh, to hold to have that kind of core beer? And it, I'd also like to hear. We'll get to uh, Steve at some point, but what uh, the, for a brewery setting out to make almost, I assume, almost exclusively sour beer, uh, how you plan to tackle that, uh, that challenge. So I'll start with Jim, because he hasn't talked in a while, uh, about what do you think, because obviously you, you, you make those beers, but you also work at Abbeydale, and what percentage of your time is spent doing that, and do you think that you could do this just just, uh, just the Funk Dungeon stuff? No. Uh, the The brewery, Pay the
5: the majority of our cast production pays for our mixed firm and and I, I would not the I wouldn't be able to do Funk Dungeon as it's as a separate entity to to working for Abbeydale. But at the same time, it's always going to pay my the brewery is always going to pay my wage and it needs it needs four percent cast beer to to do that for us. That's our our business model is built around that but they also because of the, that beer means I can make mixed fermentation sour beer I can make Brett IPAs, I can do these things because of the carrier that is for us the business model is built around selling beer, but at the same time the market is always growing the demand for these, for my mix firm I, everything I make then when I manage to find time to do it will always sell and will because i can't quite make enough of it but also there's always the there's a demand there because of that and people kind of trust us as a brewery enough to to also trust the mix firm and to to trust the barrel stuff and to trust that it will be at, at least decent and that's We've we've built that uh, the brewery's built that over over 23 years of of, of selling beer to to, a, uh, to people, and then we can tell them that it's not all about it's not all about four percent cask. It's have some interesting things. We and we are doing some interest more interesting things alongside that, and that is the the kind of it's the barrel project, and it is, and we're we're able to do that as part of. A business as a whole not as a single entity and i, I would really probably I, I definitely i know full well that i would not be able to 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 do this without the brewery um but it's part of pushing the brewery further and part of pushing what is quite a traditional customer base into drinking um more modern beer more modern beer um we we need to be pushing other drinkers together to to be drinking more interesting things and 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 that scope kind of comes from from having having uh, Brett beers in 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 Tesco's having more of these things more available to more people is the only way that it will continue growing. You can't just be in bottle shops and hoping that people will will buy the, the small quantity because they're not going to. Let, they're not going to be enough to, to push the market. Or oh, yeah,
1: cool. That's actually a really interesting point that I hadn't really thought of. That um, I'm going to get to Andrea and, uh, and Andy next about this topic because I think it's a really important one. But I never really considered the fact that these larger breweries uh, producing these beers on the side is actually a really positive thing. In that by having most people wouldn't be able to have heard of Overworks potentially, but you've got Brewdog being like this is associated with, but it's a separate entity, and you're spreading that word and then helping, the, like grow the market from the bottom, as well. And do you, do you think that uh, do you think Overworks would exist without without Brewdog?
3: Uh, no, is the short answer. There's, it's definitely a, a side project of Brewdog. It's something that that James Watt has wanted to do for a long time was make these mixed fermentation beers. Um, with the current uh, production site at Brewery up in Ellen. um, To kind of put it into scope, the kind of scale of it, the the 18,000 hectolitre tanks of Punk IPA at face value is worth a million pounds of of stock to be sold. Um, And if we ended up with a cross-contamination there, that's a million quid going down the drain because you can't fuck with Punk, that's the bottom line. Um, and if that were to happen, it would be an absolute disaster. So it had to be at this point where we could open a completely separate facility. Um, we brought in, or we, I say we, James brought in uh, Richard Culcullen, who was the, the sour, blend, sour blending master at Wicked Weed in the States, um, and he came out just before the ABM Bev thing happened, so he has nothing to do with that. Um, but he came across to, to run this program as a completely separate separate business. So we absolutely wouldn't be here without... Brewdog having put that investment in and we're in an incredibly privileged spot where it's a £4.5 million facility to make mixed fermentation beer. That's that's what it's there to do and that's what we've been doing which is great. We also then sit on the back of the Brewdog Bars which is again another separate company um, but that's now 50 sites across the UK, several international as well um, and with that comes education and that's what we're really pushing is education and collaboration we don't want to come in to the, the UK scene and like flop around and make a mess. We're here to, like you say, from the bottom, a rising tide floats all ships. We want to collaborate with a lot of smaller sour beer producers, some of the more established sour beer producers, Um, like we've worked with Yonder down in Somerset, and uh, Siren down in Reading. So we've got some really cool collaborations on the go with them. And with that comes spreading their name out as well. So it's not about flooding anything with, uh, or sorry, flooding the UK with Overworks beer. But bringing everyone's beer with us and making sure that the, the whole category grows as a as a whole. Cool, good answer. I said "whole" a lot. I'm sorry. That's fine.
1: Uh, and then Andrea, uh, obviously with origins being uh, a part of fine, do you think this would be you be able to do what you did or what you do for uh, without the support of beers like Yarl
2: or? Yeah, yeah. The the answer also here is uh, is probably no. Uh, the example of Fine aids, uh, also its uh, you know it's, it's origins has been possible because uh, uh, mainly we moved to the new facility. We built a new, the big brewery just in front of the top, as you probably know. So there was also space uh, left in for uh, different production. Uh, to start with this was the place where we used to brew the keg specials and cask specials, so um, introducing this kind of uh, production with mixed firm barrels, you know, something more uh, unpredictable, uh, it was not uh, putting at risk uh, so much like YAR, as you were saying about the Pankapier because, you know, two different uh, facilities, okay, you can say you can, we can risk with a cask special and keg special, but we're talking about much smaller uh, batches. So in general, also going back to the fact of opening a brewery just for mixed fermentations. It's probably about the nature of this uh, production which is about um, uh, inconsistency in some way, you know, like it's not uh, you cannot always predict the uh, the results so of course you need uh, another business that is, is um, you know is giving the the legs to, to this uh, smaller uh, kind of a section. Um, that's why also the supermarket uh, supermarket uh, issue is quite uh, linked. I think because you know supermarket they normally want is about standard anyway. They need a standard, a consistency of the product, and it's, it's not in the nature of this kind of of beers. I think, and when you see someone opening a brewery, just doing that is probably someone that at least they had a, a space uh, thing to. Um, you know, for example, in Italy, where I'm from, the, the, years ago, they started some only sour beers producers. I don't know if you remember, Panil, which is, was pretty popular in, uh, in the States. And there was a, a many generation of wine producing. So there was actually a different business, but, you know, in the same family, there was the space. Uh, so, you know, there are different formulas in any case. But I think non-consistency of this product, not necessarily in a bad way, is the answer for this question.
1: Cool. That was actually a really good point about consistency and uh, supermarkets, which I also hadn't considered that um, I found out yesterday in the car here uh, that uh, Boone Goes, which is available in uh, Waitrose, that, uh, Joe, you said a pallet a month? Uh, a pallet, uh, it's more than that. It's
2: like a, it's like a pallet a week sometimes. Yes. Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's so, yeah, we've got... Um, and amazing uh, we've got goods in supermarkets and people are buying it, all, all like you know, pallets per month. However, as you said, one of the things about that beer is Boone is massive or bone, uh, but it's a very consistent product. It's not a special, it's not a one off. It's it's a beer that's been consistent for many, many years. Even, even more
5: ridiculous, that was way too the to us asking for Canteon. <laughs> like, yeah, man, Shannon, we'll just uh, <laughs> list Canteon and like. 400 Waitrose stores, like, don't bother, like, but there's the consciousness within that supermarket
1: field, right? The fact that they even asked is, you know, it's, it's a sign of good yeah. things to come. So, all that sounded somewhat negative, uh, us saying, there's no way to, to, to make only uh, sour beers, but we've got Vault City here who are doing very well and are continuing to grow and make cool things, and, you know, they're doing great things. So, what is your plan to combat this? Obviously, you're making a very different. Your beers aren't like crazy long turnover, but they are using a lot of expensive ingredients. And what what are you planning to do to to kind of take that next step to stay to make
4: uh, basically a viable business? Because you wouldn't be starting something just for the crack. Yeah, absolutely. At the moment, we're completely unviable. Um so brewing in uh, brewing in our kitchen and uh, you know johnny and i are doing the brewing between us uh, both not taking a wage so um, at the moment the beer is made for the love of it um, there's there's plans afoot to 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 grow the business uh, to move uh, to move premises and to uh, to do some some gypsy brewing uh, with our own fermenter uh, so the next step will involve a lot more costs a lot more fixed costs and we, we need to make sure that there is the, the market there to ensure that uh, the business will continue to run um, I think it is an interesting, it's an interesting point in, uh, in our short history at the moment where we're now going out and talking to, to distributors and trying to ensure that there is a, a market there and, and I think the feedback we've been getting is that there is a, there is a strong market um, we're going to be making ten times the amount of beer that we're currently making hopefully in the, in the near future um the beer that we're making at the moment is selling out usually our our sales email goes out on a sunday and we're selling out usually within um an hour or so um which for you know you mentioned uh, 18,000 hectolitres before uh, for our humble 4 hectolitres uh, <laughs> it's uh, is maybe not something to be too proud of but um it's it's is flying off the shelves as we uh, at, at the moment um i think that at the moment, if we were to be the size of, of, of any of my, my colleagues right now, I don't think it would be a viable business. Um, I think it would be a struggle, but I do believe that there is a, a sour, there's, there's a head of steam on sour beer at the moment that I think is just is, is waiting to explode as a, as a genre. I think, um, like I said earlier, it seems to be for a lot of people, it's the end of your, your kind of craft beer journey. You end up kind of settling on drinking sour beers. It's interesting when we're at festivals. A lot of people are drinking sour beers that have maybe not had it before. Um, we, we were having people coming up who've never had a, a you know sour beer before and trying. Um, when we had Edinburgh Craft Beer Festival last weekend, mango habanero with chili, the uh, mango habanero uh, sour. Uh, people who'd never had a sour beer before were trying it and going, you know, this is a this is a really good beer, which is you know fantastic feedback to hear. But they would never have been exposed to something like that before nor enjoyed it. Um, so. I think there's there's huge potential it's just um it's just you know, slightly un, 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 untapped on the uh, national scale at the moment cool
1: so we talked that that beer you just mentioned is a really is a good example of something that's very accessible I mean most people kind of know your beers are like flavors you recognize yeah yeah I mean you, you your beers' names are you know something are and you kind of know what you're gonna get um do we think that the issue is perhaps that the flavors that we are interested in is brewers who've kind of done, tried sour beer and tried fruit sours that are, okay, an extreme step. And at, you said the end of maybe that, that journey for a lot of people, but the flavors are quite, you know, a sour beer. And then when you get into it more and more, you discover Lambic and you get this kind of bread kind of thing. Is it just that that flavor is just really niche? Have we, like, is it people don't actually like... Brett that much? Because once you start adding in these layers of funk I find that people start getting put off and is it, we've talked about price point but I think one of the major things that I've found in, from earlier talks is that education is one of the, the hardest parts and I think it's the next step from my, my opinion is to get these beers out there even more is how do we teach people why these beers cost more money why those flavours are in their beer how they're similar to other drinks, and you mentioned education. Uh, you could talk more about why you think that that step. You used to work bar, and the, the kind of that front of house kind of experience is super important, in my opinion. And you guys being on, you know, having overworked beers in every brew dog bar. I don't know if it's in everyone, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's important because that's a very you know got fifty <clears throat> bars. That means that. Thousands of people are going in there and trying mixed fermentation beers, potentially, for the first time. Yeah, just talk a little bit about education
3: and sure. the importance. So, yeah, with, with education, um, certainly from my point of view, working uh, in previous libraries breweries and working a lot of festivals and, and before that, working in bars, um, what these kinds of beers have is, is, is acidity. They're all acid beers, beers with acid, whether it's all lactic, whether there's malic, tartaric, octanoic, whatever's in there that's, that's going to make your beer sour. Just hopefully it's not acetic and tastes like vinegar. Um, but with these sour flavors, they're so removed from what craft beer is all about. Which, in my opinion, the whole push with craft beer was, was hoppy flavors and bitter flavors. Um, if you break it right down or look right back to, to your, your palate and our evolution of our palate, if you give a little kid a lemon, his face will turn inside out, but then he'll go back for another bite always like the baby will always try and bite the lemon again if you give a baby an olive or blue cheese or anything bitter it'll spit out and start crying there's it's just hardwired into us it's like eating tang tangfastic sour sweets this is the way i always talk about it and with the uh, the lack of bitterness in these beers actually a lot of beer drinkers don't like it and that's what i found predominantly in the last couple of years working festivals is a lot of people come up to try sour beers because their friends drag them along and says, oh, this person doesn't like beer, but I want them to try sour beer. And it's like, oh, I'm a wine drinker or I'm a cider drinker. These are drinks without any bitterness. They do have fruit character. They do have acidity. They do have barrel character. They've got complexity. There's a lot going on there that, that ties all that in. Um, And that's what I think is really missing from the educational component is people try and go, you're a beer drinker, you should love beer, you should love sour beer, because it's fucking great and I love sour beer, but that's not necessarily the case. Everybody has their own preference, everybody's palate is different. And that's the beautiful thing about beer, having so much variety on offer. Not, well, within the niche of sour beer, there's a lot of variety within that as well, whether you're going from kettle sour to spontaneous mixed fermentation and all the rest. Um, but but beer as a whole, that's the beautiful thing about it is that everybody can find enjoyment in a beer. They might just not have had the right beer yet. Cool.
1: Yeah, that's a good point as well. That this term sour beer is so encompassing. I mean, if you were to say to me, Johnny, you you, you make uh, these sorts of beers, you must love sour beer. I, I personally, like that term, I just like I don't really do. I wouldn't really order it's a sour a massive beer. Massive catch-all. Like yes. I love. We joke. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I love, like, acidity in beer, but, like, a straight-up just, like, it acid, yeah. acid bomb, doesn't really do it for me anymore. Uh, yeah, we were talking about... Education. Education. So, uh, Steve, um, how apart? what ways do you think we can do education? So, obviously, we have websites, we have social media, we have uh, beer festivals. Do you think there's... We've, we do all those things, and you guys go to the festivals, and you get out there... Is there anything else that we can do to educate people on why these beers are so different and why people should give
4: them a chance? Is there anything else that we're, we're not doing? I think it's a, a challenge because um, for a lot of people, simply if you try and educate them about the difference between wild, spontaneous, barrel age, they just simply won't care. Um, for you know, You're talking to i 'm talking to a room of uh, craft beer lovers, so you know you, you might disagree, but to the, the average beer drinker who wants to try a, a sour beer, they will ask for a sour beer and they won 't care whether it 's kettle soured or uh, mixed fermentation. They will question that price point that we, we talked earlier and, and maybe not understand that I think it's, um, I think there's also a challenge within the industry on uh, on, on, on the naming of of beer. So I can look, like your point earlier, I can look at a shelf of uh, sour beer in a, a craft beer shop and um, see a, a wide variety of pricing, um, but they're all kind of referring to themselves as, as a sour beer. Um, so I think the industry needs to, to fix its, its, its naming issues across, across the board uh, and then provide a, a period of education where people can begin to become accustomed to what is a spontaneous, spontaneous mixed fermentation beer. What is a kettle sour what is um you know what 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 does barrel aging mean to the average craft beer drinker do they understand the, the the actual cost and um the the cost of holding a beer in a barrel for for two years uh, it's um you know it, it's sometimes difficult to get across what that really means and and what the 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 sort of why the the end product of a beer that just sits about for two years costs twenty pounds a bottle um i think it's The industry needs to embrace the challenge and rise up to it and then bring people along and and, and try and increase education that's
1: great um just going to do a quick one more question then we're going to open up to the room um what do you all think is the next step for us is there one beer in particular one style of beer that we'd like to see as that gateway beer now that we've got sour beers in supermarkets they're everywhere you know we we see sour beers on on bars that you wouldn't expect. But we're lacking to get there's like a big big gap between two pound cans and eight pound bottles. And beers like uh, Overworks being in Tesco's is obviously doing great Bungo's being in Waitrose. Is there an ideal beer that you can think of or a style of beer that we're we're lacking that's maybe that four pounds or three ninety kind of like makes it a little bit less extreme to make that gap. Can you think of like even a named example of what you'd like to see if you were maybe starting your journey and getting to that, if you were to walk into a supermarket and be like, I'm going to try that beer. Do you
2: that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a tricky question. Also, because in that uh, eight-pound uh, uh, section you mentioned, would you also put there the fruit, kettle, sour, stuff and stuff? Like, uh... Uh, mm. No. Mm. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, probably some... You know, the, the price depends uh, on the on the costs also of the aging. On the um, I think in every if every of the, each of these um, sour beer uh, project, uh, they are quite young. We are all quite young with this project. When they will be more established, they will have kind of a, a core beer within the project uh, that can be you know more accessible price wise, and also people will recognize it easier and you know go and spend that. Extra two, three quid. Um, I think, yeah, that's that can be a step, and it's something that they have done in America. If you think about, it. They, they have kind of a um, core beers into sour beer program. So I think that that what I can yeah, I can say. Like you know, then every project is different. For example, here uh, Origins, we've been brewing uh, now for uh, I think for uh, four season, uh, September, October. A spontaneous beer batch okay so okay it takes time but uh, um, we always brew that in kind of the same base the same way so hopefully uh, that's what we were thinking in the future can be the our uh, core or base beer of the project i don't know about the price then <laughs>
1: i think i think what you what you said about having a core uh, beer is super important then it comes back to consistency as well um, I think we're probably going to run short on time if I went through all these but uh, we've got a great idea of the sorts of beers and what we'll be talking about consistency is obviously really important price points at points but we can get there and education is super important but I want to open it up to the floor and see if anyone's got any questions because it's our last talk and people probably want to go drink and maybe watch the football not me uh, any questions? got a question? Yeah.
5: Uh, There's been obviously quite quite wide discussion here on 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 sour beer particularly in the UK but as a, an importer how do you uh, how do you see yourself in a market that is is particularly rife with Im- imported sour beer and has been for you know tens of years and, and kind of how how can
4: you plan to enter that market and disrupt it effectively
1: anyone want to take that
4: well, it was interesting when, when we set up uh, Vault City, we, um, one of the first people we went to talk to was Brewdog on Lothian Road in Edinburgh, and um, we were discussing what the, the first couple of beers were going to be out, uh, the price of kegs, <coughs> and the first thing that uh, they, they said to us was that it's, it's quite refreshing to see a beer, it was our Tropical Sour, which, um, you know, it's sold for, I think, £180 a keg, so, you know, not cheap for a, for a 30-litre keg, uh, but they were saying that that was quite a refreshing price point given the European alternative for importing like Dugas uh, would have been kind of hitting that price point maybe slightly slightly above um, I think the quality coming across from Europe is, is incredibly high but um, I think we are now kind of matching matching there with, uh, with you know, certainly the breeze I'm sitting with are certainly matching that quality
5: I think that's the important thing, really, is, is matching everyone on... on we, we are going to make the beer cheaper, but it just needs to be as good as, if not better, than, than all the imported stuff. And the, the quality of the, the brewing that's happening in the UK certainly outstrips... Or, or The quality is excellent. So there's no reason why the, the quality of the beer on mixed fermentation side... Cannot be on a par and, and cheaper, therefore more accessible to to a normal drinker because it's it's a little bit cheaper than what people are than than it's being imported for. Uh, uh, I would disagree. It's, it's cheaper
0: than,
5: than imported ones. in general. It is. I would disagree. <laughs> well, it should be.
0: Get out. <laughs> got, we've got time for a couple more questions. Anyone with a question for our panel? Go on. Okay. You're all ready for a beer, I think. Either
1: you all really want a beer or we handled that really well and we covered it and we never need to discuss it again. And <laughs> uh, So hopefully things... Uh, Look, good for the future of these beers. I still think that uh these sorts of beers are gonna it's gonna take time. It is a very niche market. I don't think we're quite at, you know, max capacity. I think there's still room for people to try these beers and hopefully like them and there's I think there's a lot of positivity in the future with people with like Fault City starting out and making these beers and making sour beers and setting out to do that is is awesome and yeah, hopefully Exciting things to come. So, uh, thank you all for coming to this talk and the whole talks, and for Matt for doing the majority of the talks this weekend. Uh, it's been great. And yeah, thanks for coming. Enjoy the rest of your fine fest, and we'll uh, see you soon.
0: <laughs> thanks for tuning in, folks. If you're able to support the content we produce at Pellicle, please consider making a monthly donation via Patreon. You can sign up by visiting patreon.com forward slash mag. Remember to subscribe. And if you can, please leave us a review in your podcast app of choice, as this will help more people find the show. Until next time, I've been your host, Matthew Curtis, and you've been listening to the pellicle podcast.